Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. This is week three of our series on the Holy Spirit, the person and the promise, the person and the promise. So many of you know that beginning in the Old Testament, the coming of the Holy Spirit was promised in the prophetic books. Ryan talked about Ezekiel last week and in Joel, and they talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at a couple of those spots in the book of John this morning. But what about the person of the Holy Spirit? I'm wondering how many of you grew up in churches like mine where the Holy Spirit was called the Holy Ghost. And you didn't want to come near that because that's the Holy Ghost. It's spooky. So the Holy Spirit sounds a little bit more soft and inviting, but I was talking to my wife a couple years ago when I was focused on children's ministry here at the church, and I was telling her how vital it is that kids understand that God's not a person, he's a spirit, and that the spirit wants to come and live inside of them and change them from the inside out. And she said, are you kidding? She said, when I was a child, if you told me that there was a spirit who wanted to come and live inside of me, I would have kept far away from that thing. So whether he's the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, that's a name that sort of emphasizes God's otherness. And we park that over there because we have an easy time conceiving of God the Father. Everybody gets a picture in their mind of what God the Father might look like this. Or he might look like this. The next one. Some of you understand that joke. And of course, Jesus, there's been a million people who painted pictures of Jesus and made movies of Jesus, so we have a conception in our mind of what Jesus would have looked like. But the Holy Spirit, what does that conjure up in our minds? That's a weirdness. And, uh, and, and yet, it's ironic because the Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity whose job it is, express purpose is to make you intimate with God. John 14, verse 20, Jesus says this. He says, on that day, and he's speaking to the disciples about the day that the Holy Spirit will come. He says, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And so what Jesus is talking about is the Holy Spirit's role in facilitating intimacy with God. And that's where we're going to go this morning, intimacy with God. And if intimacy is too squeamish or weird a word for you when thinking about God, try the word uh, close connection. The Holy Spirit brings a close connection between you and God. If that's too nonspecific, how about heart-to-heart? When you have a heart-to-heart connection with somebody or a heart-to-heart talk, you're completely honest with them, they're completely honest with you. That's what the Holy Spirit came to do. To allow you to have a heart-to-heart, close connection, intimate relationship with God. So I want to talk about three things this morning. Number one, why would I want that? Because if you're not convinced that intimacy with God is a good thing to have in your life, then none of the rest of what I'm going to say this morning is going to make any sense. Secondly, I want to look at what exactly is the Holy Spirit doing in his work in our lives to bring us a close connection with God And then third, we'll wrap up by looking at why does this all matter and and how as a Christian can I make practical use of this to become more close and intimate with God through the Holy Spirit. So here we go. First of all, why 
in the world would I want an intimate relationship with God in heaven? And the simple way to begin answering that question might be to, to reverse it and say, well, why wouldn't you want that? Because human beings are relational creatures. We've got a social component to us, and we all need relationships, close relationships. Now, some of us are extroverts, and we've got a million friends, and some are introverts, and we, we have a few friends who we're more deeply invested in that way. But either way, you've got to have relationships. You need that, or you will die without that. And so in our relationships, there are people that we've met in our lives who we discover that we have a connection with. Usually happens very quickly. We meet this person and we realize this is a person I can be completely real with. And I can drop the facade and I can drop the posing and the pretending. I don't have to act a certain way around this person. I can just be myself. Have we all had people in our lives that we've had that connection with? We discover this person just accepts me for who I am. Most of our other relationships tend to be on the transactional side, meaning I'm doing something for you and you're receiving it from me, and so we each play a role, but we're not really being real. But there's those special people in our lives who we discover we can be real with. We can be ourselves. And this is the beginning of what's called an intimate connection. And I wonder who in your life you have that you have that intimate connection with. It's not everybody, but in your past, in your life, you can probably pick out, I don't know, a dozen, maybe a couple dozen people who you've just connected with and said, I can be myself with this person. And you need that because they get to see the sides of you that are less than presentable in the public self. They get to see the habits in you that you don't widely advertise to everybody else. They get to see the sinful parts of you, the ugly parts of you. And instead of rejecting it when they see it, they accept you anyhow in spite of what they see. And see, then that's the development of intimacy. And now you realize that in that relationship between you and them, you have a great deal of freedom. So now, the Holy Spirit is a person, and you're a person. And when we say that the Holy Spirit is a person, we're not saying the Holy Spirit is a human being with a body, but what we're saying is the Holy Spirit is not some weird energy field. It's not some impersonal power of God. It's a person. It is God. It's a member of the Trinity. And as a person, it is also capable of relationship. So if you're a person who needs relationships, intimate relationships where you can feel free, why wouldn't you want a close, intimate relationship with the most powerful being in the universe who created you and knows you? And the simple answer is this, because I don't want God to know all those things about me. <laughs> I don't want God to see the sinful parts and the unsavory parts. Oh, but he already knows. He already knows. He knows everything about you. He knows that thing that you don't admit to other people. He knows that insecurity deep inside of you that you don't want to shine a light on. He already knows. And that fact is not what creates intimacy between you and God. That's just God being God, exercising his, his omniscience, his all-knowingness. But what creates intimacy is this. When there's knowledge on the part of one person, in this case God, and God says, I see that. <laughs> I know exactly what you're like. 
And on your part, on the receiving end, there's an acknowledgement. Yeah, God, I really am like that. And then you combine those two things with, with acceptance, not rejection, and that yields freedom. There's the equation on the screen behind me right there. And when you've experienced that kind of freedom, then you've truly experienced grace. And I want to tell you this morning that if this idea seems foreign to you, a personal God in your personal life, in your personal stuff, seeing everything about you, even the bad stuff, but accepting you anyhow, the Bible really says that's possible. And I hope that you'll think about that. And one of the things that we do in church to really grasp this idea of a, an abstract God loving me personally is we engage ourselves in small groups, because in small groups, we form intimate connections with the other people who are there where we can expose ourselves, the parts of our lives that we don't widely put on display. And instead of being rejected by those people, they love us and they accept us in, in spite of all the imperfect stuff that's there. And then you discover the freedom that is in that acceptance. You discover what it is to be loved on the basis not of your works, your pretty, your rich, you get good grades in school, but just because of who you are. And if you can be loved by other people in that way, you see, it gives you a, a carnational example you can put your fingers on of the way that God loves and appreciates you. So if you've never experienced life in a small group, that's something that you might want to check out. You go talk to Jim Doyle after this service and say, hey, he was talking about small groups. How can I get involved? So now I may have you slightly convinced that intimacy with God, the most powerful being in the universe, is something that you would want in your life. Maybe, maybe. So now let's move on to look at exactly what the Holy Spirit does when he works in your life and mine to bring us that connection with God. And for that, we need to go to the Bible. So let's go to John chapter 14, where Jesus begins to speak about the coming of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit will do. Here's the setting of John chapter 14. Jesus is about to go to the cross. It's his last night on earth. And he has celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. And now he is dropping this news on them. He's hinted at it before, but he's being really explicit and saying, guys, I'm going away. And the disciples are apparently freaking out a little bit about what this means. And we're not sure that they fully grasp that, that he's going away to heaven. They may think he's going away to China and coming back in a year, but, but he says, no, guys, I'm really going away. But don't let your hearts be troubled. I've not been lying to you these past three years that I've been with you. I've been telling you the truth, that I came from the Father, and I'm going back to the Father, and I'm going into heaven to prepare a place for you, and if I go there, I will surely come back to get you and take you to be where I am. And that's the hope that we live in on the earth right now is that one day Jesus will come back. And if we're a believer in him, he'll take us to be where he is with the Father. But he says, don't be afraid. Don't let that cause you anxiety that I'm going away because if I go away, I'm going to send someone else in my place. And that's where we pick up in verse 16 of chapter 14. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. So there we have the first two things that the Holy Spirit does to facilitate intimacy between you and God. Number one, he will be with you forever. He will be with you. 
And in this, the Holy Spirit is mimicking the incarnational presence that Jesus has had with his disciples for the last three years. Because if you look at the passages that talk about Jesus calling his disciples, uh, in particular, Mark chapter 3, it says that when Jesus called the disciples, he went up on a mountainside and called to him those who he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. And we often think of the disciples that they followed Jesus and they did a bunch of things with him. But the very first thing that Mark says is he appointed the 12 that they might be with him and then do all that other work that he had for them to do. Just the prospect of being with God, God being with you, is a powerful, powerful thing. Because again, when we think about those intimate relationships and connections we've had with other people, you know the difference when you've gone through a hard thing in your life between people who've, who've been there and the friends who've really been there for you. Can you think of those people in your life? I mean, they were, they were there when you needed them. When you needed to lean on them and cry on a shoulder and talk to somebody, and they were there for you, man. They were there. And Jesus is saying, I will send the Holy Spirit. And just like I have been with you for these past three years, the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. Incarnational presence. That's not all. Verse 16 also says, not only will the, the, the advocate be with you, but the advocate will also help you. And he says, uh, God will send another advocate. This is really important. This is really key. Another advocate. So Jesus is saying, I was the first helper, and now there will be another helper. And it's one of these passages that helps us understand that the nature of God is three in one. Triune, three in one. Some people are frustrated that the Bible doesn't have a long, long section explaining the Holy Spirit. Instead, you know, Jesus gets four Gospels, but the Holy Spirit and references to what the Spirit does are just scattered throughout the Old and New Testament. And we have to systematically pull that together in order to make a kind of cohesive narrative of this is who the Holy Spirit is. And so people will sometimes use the absence of a, of a tight paragraph or page or book of the Bible called the Holy Spirit to argue that maybe the Holy Spirit isn't really God. Maybe the Holy Spirit is like a sub-God or just the power of God. But I want you to see what Jesus is doing here in John 14 and later in John 16 is he is talking about what the Father has done, what the Son has done and is going to do, and what the Spirit is doing. And he's interweaving it all together. See, and this is a powerful argument for the fact that the Holy Spirit is in fact God and that it is three in one. And so just as Jesus was a helper and an advocate, now the Father's going to send the Holy Spirit to be your advocate. And so just as there is a difference between not intimate friendships and intimate friendships, there's a difference between people who were around you when you went through something difficult and those who were really there. There's a difference between friends who really help in times of need and those who don't help in times of need. And what's the difference? I don't know. But you've probably heard people say, you know, if you need anything, call me. I'm there for you. But for some reason, in your mind, 
there's two or three people who are your go-to people. I will call those people and all the other people are really well-meaning and I appreciate their expressions of support, but I'm gonna go to these people. We all have those go-to people in our life. When we're really in distress, we need to talk to somebody, lean on somebody. Those are the people that we go to. Well, Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is a go-to friend. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit into the world You receive him into your life by faith. He is a go-to friend who will never let you down. The English word that we've sort of conjugated is the paraclete. You may have heard that word. Paraclete comes from the Greek parakleton, and the Greek verb is parakaleo, which if you break it down, the parts are uh, called to come alongside of somebody. Called, hey, Help needed over here to come alongside and walk alongside you. And for many of us at this church, on staff and in the congregation, Bear, when he was alive, was a go-to friend. When you were overwhelmed and you were distressed, it's Bear who you wanted to take to lunch. It's Bear whose office you wanted to drop in and talk to. The Holy Spirit is a go-to friend. So, So the Holy Spirit is with us and he helps us. But now number three, how does he help us? Go back to John 14 and jump down to verse 26. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So how does he help? He teaches us. He reminds us of the truths that Christ left with us, and he guides us into all truth. And doesn't a helpful friend do that? When we're at our lowest, when we're in despair, when we're ready to chuck it all and give up and move to Antarctica, and a good friend comes alongside and they lift us up and they encourage us and they say, it's not that bad. You're not worthless. You have great value. You're loved. Keep going. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit teaches us and speaks truth to us. And then the flip side of that is, is, is sometimes our good friends speak encouraging truth to us, but we also rely on our good friends to speak hard truth to us. Yeah? So that when they see those, those errant parts of us, the sinful parts of us that we, we don't want to put on display, they can kind of put a finger on that and say, you know, you might want to pay attention to that. And the Holy Spirit has a role in doing this in, in uh, Scripture calls it convicting, or the new translation of the NIV says, prove the world to be in the wrong. John 16, verse 8, when he comes, he, the Holy Spirit, will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So just as a good friend lifts us up with encouragement when we need it, when we're too full of ourselves and our own self-righteousness, The Holy Spirit also speaks truth into our lives. Hey, dude, you got some stuff that you need to work on there. And we receive that correction much more readily from an intimate relation than we do from some outside authority figure. Why? Because the relationship paves the way. The relationship greases the wheels. And so if I want to convince somebody here across the room to change, I'm going to be way more effective at that if I first get to know you. Hey, I'm Mark. Let's have coffee together. Then if I just yell a bunch of instructions at you. 
fact, I've been laboring in the, in, the, in the junior high ministry with seventh and eighth graders to get them to understand this concept that God is unlike any other authority figure in their life who wants something from them. We all live under authority figures, even adults do. We've got bosses and we've got the government. We've got people who want us to do things. And yet God works to fulfill the things that he wills for them in a completely opposite way as any other authority figure. He doesn't stand on the outside and demand, demand, demand. Instead, he enters and he works that change from the inside out. And that's the same thing with how the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. Let's go on. Number five, how the Holy Spirit facilitates intimacy. He reveals things about God as the spirit of truth. Now, in Christianity, Christian theology, we talk about general revelation versus special revelation. And this is ways that we can know God. So general revelation can come through uh, the mind, through philosophy, through reason, through nature, through what God has created. It's apparent that there must be a God, Romans 1.20. And that's general revelation. But then there's also special revelation, specific concrete revelation that God has sent that we might know who he is. Jesus is certainly chief among the examples. The other is the Bible. Listen to the words of 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. They didn't just make this stuff up. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So in a close relationship, intimate friendship, there is progressively more and more a revelation of the parties involved. If you've been married for 20 years, by 20 years of marriage, you know more about your partner than you did at 10 years of marriage, and more than you did at five years of marriage, and more than you did on the day that you got married. Because the longer we're in relationship with somebody, intimate, honest, close communication relationship, the more gets revealed. And as long as it's met with acceptance and not judgment, the, the strength of the intimate connection grows. My wife is so much better than me at speaking her mind. If something is bothering her, whether it's something I've done or something she picked up at work that day and brought home, she'll get it out there. By the end of the day, before she goes to bed, she's just good at voicing those things and getting those out there and dealing with them. I'm not so good at that. I tend to stuff it inside and think if I can just push it over there, it just will never see the light of day and we'll just move on. But my wife has become really keen at understanding when something has gotten under my skin. And so she'll probe. She'll say, what is it? Something's bothering you. What is it? What is it? What is it? She'll poke, 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 poke until eventually I go, okay, fine, I'll tell you. And I reveal it, what's on the inside. What a gift then the Bible is to us because we don't have to guess what's on God's mind. We don't have to guess who God is. We don't have to poke him and prod him like my wife has to poke and prod me. God, what is it that you want? God, you're a mystery. Just tell me, just tell me. He's told us. And sometimes people say, you know, God has never spoken to me. He gave you the Bible. And the Bible is rich and the Bible is full of the revelation of God that you might know who he is. And it was inspired by the Holy Spirit to make you intimate with God. 
There are no secrets in a close relationship other than temporary time for fun, like birthday gifts and Christmas gifts. And my wife just even goes crazy with that because she hates secrets in the relationship of any kind. So if the Christmas presents have sat under the tree for two weeks and Christmas is still a week away, she just says, just tell me what it is. Just let me open it now because she doesn't want any secrets. Well, there's no secrets in the relationship between you and God other than, other than, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. The Bible doesn't reveal every detail of what's happening in your future, in your life. But on the major things, God's plan of salvation, it's all right here. And so sometimes people will look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. And I'm going to read it from the old NIV translation because this is how you memorized it if you've memorized it. See if you recognize it. As it is written... No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And people stop there. But you can't stop there. You've got to continue on to verse 10. Because the very next verse says, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. God's not in the business of keeping secrets. Can we know what God has planned and prepared for us? Yes. God has revealed it to us by his spirit that we might know and love and follow him. And what is it that that passage is specifically referring to? If you look back up in verse 7, it'll tell you the mystery of God's wisdom. We can understand the mystery of God's wisdom. When the Bible talks about a mystery, it's not talking about something that you can't know. It's talking about something that you don't know until God gives you the key that unlocks your understanding. Namely, what's the value of a dead Messiah? How does that work? So you sent the Savior into the world, and he didn't fight back, and he got nailed to a cross. And so, God, how does that make sense? Well, as 1 Corinthians says, the message of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. But when we have the Spirit, it unlocks our understanding. We, we can't figure it out on reason alone. But God gives us spiritual eyes to see and get it. It's kind of like my glasses, when I go to the eye doctor and she says, put it in the machine, I'll read the bottom row. I say, I can't. So she says, okay, go ahead and use your glasses. And now I can see it. And that's like the blessing that the spirit is in our lives. That's why one of the most powerful prayers that we can pray as Christians is, God, help me see the world through spiritual eyes. Help me to interpret this conflict I'm having with this person through spiritual eyes. Help me understand the difficulties I'm having in my career or in my family life. Lord, help me back up and see that through spiritual eyes because there's a whole new layer of understanding on the spiritual layer that I'm not perceiving through my natural eyes. Let's do one more way that the Holy Spirit creates intimacy between us and God. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 
So when we worry, are we good enough for God? Am I being a good enough Christian? Does God really still love me? The spirit testifies with your spirit that you're not an outsider, you're an insider. You're not a hired hand, you're in the family. You've been adopted to sonship and you are a child of God. And for some reason, there's a whole lot more grace that we will extend to members of our own family than to people who are outside the family circle. So that's what the Holy Spirit has done for you. It has brought safety to that relationship. Because if we live on edge all the time, I may have made God angry and he's turning his back on me, then we're never going to relax and experience that freedom and that grace. But the Holy Spirit testifies with your spirit that we are children of God and we can live in safety and security in that relationship. So you see, most of the features that would be present in a human intimate relationship, in those relationships that you've got the closest connection with other people, most of those features that are there are also in the context of an intimate relationship with God. Namely, presence, help, advocacy on your behalf and assistance, open and honest communication, whether it's things we want to hear or things about ourselves that are difficult to hear, revelation, progressive revelation of the other person, and safety and acceptance and trust and no games. So how do we put all of this into practice in our lives? Why does this all matter? That the Spirit of God was sent to bring us into intimate relationship with God. Well, let me read to you from Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. Paul says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So why does it matter that the Holy Spirit facilitates intimacy with God? Let me come at it from two ways. Number one, if you want intimacy and connection with God, but you are not approaching him through his spirit, you're not going to get there. You cannot have connection with God except by connecting to the spirit of God. And so no amount of spiritual self-help, spiritual self-talk, meditation, inward focus on my inner light, special breathing practices, talking spiritual, dressing spiritual, acting spiritual is going to connect me to God apart from the spirit of God. It might connect me to other people. It might connect me to a deeper understanding of myself or to nature, but it is not connecting me to God. I only connect to God through the one and only Holy Spirit of God. But then the opposite is also true. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit. And so anybody who has the Holy Spirit should be experiencing intimacy with God. How's that going? Sometimes we hit points in our life where there's, there's road bumps, there's diversions, there's dry periods. And so we say, I, I, I'm a child of God, I've confessed my sins, and I believe in Jesus, and I, I believe I've received the Holy Spirit, but I'm not feeling it. So what then? I want to assure you today that when we go back to Scripture and we see what the Holy Spirit has done, there is nothing standing in the way between you and an intimate relationship with God, nothing at all. You have full access, like when you get the, the best ticket package at a concert. 
front row and backstage and free food and drink, full VIP access has been granted to you on the basis of the Holy Spirit. I want you to watch this little video animation. I'm going to explain what you're seeing as you go. Because in the Old Testament days of the temple in Israel, you know that the temple was restricted access. You could only get so far. Can we call that video up? You can only get so far towards the inner sanctuary where it was believed that God dwelt. And so only priests could go into this area, which was called the holy place. But at the end of the hallway, there's this curtain, and behind the curtain is the most holy place. And only one person could enter the most holy place one day a year to atone for the sins of Israel. He was called the high priest. It was believed that the presence of God, you see, dwelt behind that curtain and was so holy it needed to be set off apart from all of us. But then something happened on Calvary. Matthew 27 records that at the moment Jesus died, the earth shook. There was a violent earthquake, and the curtain in the temple was torn in two. And if you've ever understood the significance of what that means, it means that the Spirit of God was no longer contained behind this curtain in this special sanctuary, but it was free to go out into the world and dwell in the hearts of anyone who believes in him and receives him by faith. And so that privilege to receive the Holy Spirit into your life gives you full VIP access to the Father. You don't need a mediator anymore. You don't need me to pray for you. Now, I'm happy to do that. And it's appropriate to get friends to pray for you. But their prayer doesn't count any more than your prayer. You can connect directly to God in your prayers. And your prayers don't have to be beautiful. And they don't have to be elegant. And they don't have to be in Hebrew or any language at all. You are good enough to connect directly with God, completely unmediated. You don't need a priest to sacrifice animals on your behalf or pronounce the forgiveness of sins over you. No, because the Holy Spirit is in the world, you are empowered to approach God directly. Look at what happened at my house in the past couple weeks. Listen carefully. This is my daughter, now 13 months old, discovering that she can do it all by herself. And before they can walk on their own, they use these walkers to come to daddy. But the walker stands between me and her. And now when she can do it all by herself, there's nothing standing between my daughter and daddy. She can come all the way. And because we've got twins at home, let's see that again. All the way to daddy. No help needed. The Holy Spirit produces this opportunity for you. You don't need church to be the mediator, a priest. It's a special incantation prayer. Nothing. You can have intimacy with God, and you should have intimacy with God. And so I want to close with these seven pointers or, or sort of practical steps of ways that you can use the Holy Spirit to achieve intimacy with God. Number one, when you pray, aim to pray on a spiritual level. And here's what I mean by that. When I wake up in the morning, my mind is on 
me and what I need. And that's probably natural and the same for you too. I wake up in the morning and my first thought is, okay, I need to take a shower and I need to eat breakfast because I'm hungry and I need to feed my kids and I need to get dressed and I need to be at work 30 minutes early so I'm ready for that meeting. The social support and I, 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 I. And I need to spend time with God. And in my time with God, the first thing that I need to do is I need to get myself out of the way so that I can pray and connect with him on a spiritual level. Otherwise, my prayers are just a laundry list of God bless my to-do list today and help me get everything done. And there's, there's nothing wrong with praying prayers like that. But remember, God's got a higher purpose than all of the things on your to-do list. God's got a deeper thing that he's trying to achieve in your life. So when I sit and pray, sometimes it can take three or four minutes to get my mind's eye off of myself, get the immediate things to the side, and really focus on who God is and what he's trying to do. Sometimes I even have to get up and sit in another area of the room because where I'm sitting, it's, I'm just distracted and I can't do it. I have to stand up. I've got to get down on my knees. I've got to get another posture. But however you do it, take that time in the morning to pray spiritually to God, and it takes time. Number two, let the Holy Spirit pray for you. This is a promise in Scripture, you know. In Romans 8, 26, it says, in the same way the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. How many of us have had that experience in a time where we sit, we try to connect with God, and we just don't know what to pray for? Has that ever happened to you? We just, I just don't have any words, don't have anything. What do I do? Do I just close my Bible and give up? I guess it's not in the cards today. No, lean on Romans 8.26. Take that promise seriously. Ask the Holy Spirit to pray for you when you don't know how to pray. Number three, incorporate some spiritual disciplines into your life. And I wholeheartedly endorse the books that Ryan Pfeiffer endorsed last week when he talked about The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg and Celebration of Disciplines by Richard Foster. We've got a couple copies of that over in the coffee shop over there. Great books on what spiritual disciplines are and what they aren't and how they can, through the Holy Spirit, facilitate intimacy between you and God. Number four, related to that, is... you. Know, Personality tests are really in today. How many of you have taken the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs or whatever and, and understanding yourself? So great. Why not understanding yourself on a spiritual level, understanding how you best connect with God? Spend some time investing in that and then lean into that because that's your sweet spot. You might start with a book called Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas, which talks about the fact that different people connect with God best through different ways. For some, it's ritual and tradition. For others, it's through the mind. For others, it's through music. For others, it's through nature. Whatever it is, why don't you find where your starting point is? And it doesn't mean that's the only way that you're going to worship and adore God, but it's, it's, it's your major way, and then you can branch out into some of these other ways. Number five, how can I experience intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit? Number five, test every spirit as the scripture says in 1 John, because this is how we know whether it is God speaking to us or some other thing inside of us. We're just hungry or tired or stressed out. 1 John 4 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit 
but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. And then John 16 When Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit, this is so important. He says, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So what the Bible is pointing to here is there's gonna be an internal consistency between the work and the message of the Holy Spirit and the work in the message of the Son, and the work in the message of the Father, they will not contradict one another. So if you believe that you're receiving a message from the Holy Spirit, test that spirit against what God has already revealed in Scripture. If it's at cross purposes with the plan of salvation that God has already laid out, that's not a spirit that's coming from God. Number six, practice intimate communication with God. Complete radical, no-holds-barred honesty. Those things that you don't want to tell other people because maybe it's about them or those things about yourself that are deep insecurities that you don't want to admit are there. Tell God. Tell God. And see how unburdened you feel because you've released it from yourself. And number seven, last week Ryan gave you a seven-day challenge to meditate on one of the uh, passages about Jesus. So I'll give you a seven-day challenge this week. This week, for seven days, why don't you try to start the day every day in the presence of God through the Holy Spirit? And you've got to do it at the start of the day because you know how the day goes. Your brain just fills up with priorities and you got to do this. And, and before you know it, you're just drowning in responsibilities. So you do it first thing in the morning. And here's a hint. Don't post anything to social media before you go to bed at night. Because you post a comment or a photo or a question or whatever, the first thing you want to do in the morning is find my phone and get up and see if anybody replies. So don't do that. Post things before 2 p.m. in the afternoon. But then in the morning, you can get up and take care of a few personal needs and then spend some time getting yourself out of the way in the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. Hey, you know, there's a physical act that Jesus gave us that represents intimacy with God, and it's communion. In communion, Jesus gave us some physical symbols to remember him by and to remember that the whole purpose of his his incarnation on earth and his death and his glorification into heaven was that you might be with him. And so we're going to celebrate communion this morning together as we close. We're going to invite the ushers forward to distribute the the elements. And I'll explain a little bit about the significance of these elements in that Jesus was actually eating a meal. This is not a meal. This is a remembrance. But Jesus was celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. And you can go ahead and begin distributing those, those uh, cups. Um, and he gave them bread, and he said, this represents my body. And the cup of wine, which is part of the Passover meal, he said, this is part of the new covenant, which is in my blood, which is for the forgiveness of sins. And he instituted this tradition And for thousands of years now, Christians have been taking communion and remembering the words of Jesus on the night before he went to the cross. 
So we're gonna celebrate communion this morning together as a remembrance of God with you and his desire to be with you. And Jesus walking the earth was an expression of God's will, not to hide himself from you, not to turn his back on the world and and just keep the good things secret from you, but to reach out to you, to make the first step in an intimate connection with you. So we'll distribute the elements, just hold those in your hand, and then when everybody's received them, we'll take communion together this morning. So the Bible tells us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And whenever you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember you this morning. We remember that because of your grace and great love for us, you determined that it was good to send your son to the world to live among us, to die a criminal's death. And then by your power, you raised him again from the dead and you glorified him into heaven where he is now and he will one day return to take us to be where you are. And in the meantime, Lord, you didn't, leave us alone as as orphans as the scripture says but you sent your Holy Spirit I pray that we would take advantage of the Holy Spirit and the advantages and the privilege that it gives us to be ushered into your presence now in this moment the moments when we walk away today and we're going about our daily business in the week ahead Lord you are with us through the Spirit and we can have intimate close heart-to-heart connection with you. Pray that we would desire that. Pray that we would harness the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God, that we would know and love and serve you better. And now, Lord, we pray that you would bless us as we go, that you would pave the path for us, the conversations that we need to have this week, the people that we will interact with, that our eyes and hearts could be fixed on you. And as a God who stands outside of time, you're already in next weekend waiting for us to come back and celebrate in your presence what you did in our lives this week. We love you, Lord, and we give you this week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need encouragement and prayer this morning, there will be prayer encouragers here at the front of the stage. Please come up and get prayer. Have a great week. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.